0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio. In the morning, you're with the double L team, Lyle and... Liam! Good morning, Lyle. How are you this morning? I am fantastic this morning. Fantastic to hear. What are you thankful for? I am... I'm, I'm thankful for Peter and Danny. Oh, yes. Let me tell you about Peter and Danny. Peter and Danny were on here yesterday. They're doing a weekly show in the afternoons between 3.30 and 5.30 every afternoon. And they just came on. They just came straight out of the gate, as it were, smashed the program. They were doing an amazing job. And, of course, this afternoon in that same time slot, we have Robbie uh, this afternoon. So it's a going to be of amazing.
1: A bunch great uh, presenters. First-class presenters Absolutely. right there. Yeah. Um, I am thankful for my little pocket knife, my pocket knife uh, utility tool, whatever you want to call it. Uh,
0: uh, pocket knife is always one of the most... Everyone should carry a pocket knife. I know.
1: Oh, it's fantastic. Yesterday, I don't know
0: why everyone doesn't carry a pocket knife. It does wonders. There should be a law that says everyone must carry a pocket knife.
1: It, it does amazing things. I, I forgot to carry it with me on person this morning, but yesterday I was out in the chicken in the chicken pen and um, there were a couple of wires that were, that were loose and on my little pocket knife it's got a pair of pliers uh, and, and wire cutters and it's got scissors and a knife and, and screwdriver and everything and I was able to use something that fit it was about as big as my thumb or maybe a bit bigger maybe as big as my two thumbs two thumbs put together it was as big as that and I was able to use that to sort of take care of the whole chicken pen. It was wonderful. Problem solved. Right? Absolutely. The problem
0: oh. solved with a pocket knife. There's, you can do so many things with a pocket knife. I think that, um, you know, one of the greatest things that was ever invented. I've,
1: I've seen your keys yes. floating
0: around that's and right. there's something else that's on there. I have a shifter on my keys. <laughs> it got a shifter. Yeah, why not? You and, never know when you might need it. Oh, I have used it. You would be, be amazed how many times I've used that shifter. I've used that shifter to get me out of the bush when I've been stuck in my four-wheel drive and it has been the only tool that has uh, been available and has come to my rescue and worked. Perfectly. It does wonders. Yeah. There we go. This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or
1: Android platforms. Coming up in our show today, what have you got for us, Lyle? Okay, so we're going to be looking
0: around our world at some animal stories. We're going to be looking at a bit of a sad story coming out Africa, where coronavirus is causing the deaths or killing off a lot of endangered species in Africa, in African uh, game parks. We're also going to be traveling to Southeast Asia, to Thailand, where elephants are just loving the coronavirus. So that's all coming up. Stay tuned.
1: This is Anna Weatherup with At The Cross.
2: Alas and did my saviour bleed, did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head to someone such as I? At the cross, at the cross Where I first saw the light The burden of my heart rolled away And it was there by faith I received my sight And now I am Is it for Christ?
1: Welcome back. That was Anna Weatherup with At The Cross. We have come time to do the very first clue for our quiz this morning. It is a Who Am I? So, this is an angel of the Lord appeared to my mother and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. That well, looks a little bit clueless there. Not too sure. <laughs> No, no, that is not it. So Lyle does not yet have the answer, which means that the double prize is still up for grabs. So if you think you know what the answer is, you can give us a call at 1-800-324-843, or you can send us a text at 4 And if you are the first person to get to guess the correct answer this morning, we will be sending you a copy of God's Love for Man by Ellen White. So again, number 1-800-324-843. Or you can send us a text. You can send us a text at zero four nine
0: one zero six four six six nine. Okay, so I'm going to jump in with some uh, positively different news right now, while uh, Liam jumps on to see if he can sort out a bit of a technical issue right here. This is a story that just tickles my fancy, Liam. I am going to ask you one quick question.
1: Huh? How old were you when you learned to drive? Uh, I was. Look, I learned. Officially, when I was sixteen, but I did begin to get the idea when I was fourteen.
3: Okay,
0: so I learnt to drive when I was eight, which was kind of cool, because, and that's kind of how you know kids that grow up in the country learn, you know, very very young like that. And the um, I learnt to drive in a in a nineteen sixty Bedford truck with a crash gearbox, which I actually currently own which is kind of cool however in the united states police just pulled over a car that was driving down the road it seemed to be weaving in and out of their lanes a little bit and as they pulled over the car they noticed that they couldn't see a driver which was unusual and when they walked up to the car there was a kid behind the wheel they asked him how old he was he was five they asked him where he was going And by the way he pulled over quite neatly to the curb when they flashed their lights he was five and they asked him where he was going and he said he was going to California. They asked him why he was going to California because that's 1,500 kilometers away. And he said he was going to buy, going there to buy a Lamborghini. So they asked him how much money he had and he had $3 in his pocket. He'd raided his piggy bank, he'd collected his $3 and he was off to California. And by the way, he was heading the right direction. What a champion. He was, he was navigating correctly. He was heading the right way. He wasn't that far from home, but uh, he, he wasn't lost. He was just on his way to California to buy a Lambo for three bucks. Good on him. I'm just like, this This kid's my hero. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I want to, uh, <coughs> yeah, I want to see, I want to, I want to follow his driving career. Here we've got our next uh, Formula One racer um, who has just sort of appeared on the scene. Let's uh, see where he goes from here. I'm a big uh, advocate for teaching children to drive. I think that um, all children should learn to drive at a young age in a paddock. Um, in a supervised environment i think that it gives them great skills so that when they do come to get their license they don't become idiots on the road indeed um, you find a lot of uh, kids that have all this pent-up desire to drive rather than it being a normal thing and so when they do get their license they just do stupid things and uh, yeah my kids started to drive i guess around the age of Eight or nine or ten or something, rather, when I bought them their first car, and it was the best thing they ever bought them. Paddock bashes are the best. Good on them. Do we manage to get that technical issue? We sorted? did. Yeah.
1: Look, I do. If cool. you're just joining us, I, I do need to apologise. There was a button that I thought I pressed, but I forgot to press this morning. But it is now pressed. Now pressed. So it, ideally, it should be working for everybody. Good. Well, that was my positively different news. What have you got for us uh, this morning? I'm going to give you a piece of paper. Okay. Uh, and I want you to see if you can read what that says.
0: <coughs> okay. okay, I know whose name it is, can but I don't. I, I have been looking the, for the correct pronunciation for this. I haven't actually seen the correct pronunciation. Do you have a correct pronunciation? For I us here? have a potential correct pronunciation. Oh,
1: okay. So, have we heard this from the from the parents' mouth yet? Uh, not directly from their ne- mouth. However, okay. there was someone that commented. So, can you just see if you can read what that try and says? Try, I'd, so, I'd, I'd call this person Exia. Exaya, yeah. Uh, so, the, it's what's kind of written? Pretty, kind of pretty name. It, it's it's quite a nice name. But what's written down there is uh, X and then an A and an E smushed together. Yeah, the, Greek, uh, the Greek version. The Greek version. I think, I think that's Greek. And then A twelve. Um, this is the name of Elon Musk and his wife uh, Grimes. They have, or oh, his partner Grimes. They've had a child, and this is the name they've given to their child. Okay, and so I'll just sort of go through what they used to explain their names uh they had x the unknown variable uh a such with the a e a e smashed together my elven spelling of a love and or artificial intelligence uh and then there's the a-12 which equals a precursor to the sr-17 it is their favorite aircraft no weapons no defenses just speed great in battle but non violent uh plus a also represents uh archangel which is grime's favorite song um so yeah but now there was the the the, so far the pronunciation that i have managed to find that is closest is someone commented that the a and e makes the sound ash okay um so therefore the and, and so taking the a also representing archangel somehow they've managed to to see that It's pronounced A-Ash-Archangel. So far, that's what someone commented, um, and that's what Elon Musk Musk, uh, retweeted or liked on the social media. And so far, that's what we can assume is the closest name. So whether it's...
0: I can't wait until he actually goes uh, public and gives the actual... Absolutely.
1: Because I want to to figure this one out. So whether it's the full name or whether it's just Ash... I don't know.
0: But we we wish this young baby all the best, and we hope that uh, she grows up to
1: become a very uh, successful person. Names were much more simpler back in the Bible times when, when if there was a name that wasn't right, God told you, and he re- renamed. Yeah. You know, there was Abram that became Abraham, Sarai that became Sarah, So how Jacob, come Maheshel el never got renamed? I, I, maybe God thought it was, it was the right <laughs> name. For,
0: Actually, God gave him that name. Why well, did go. God give him that name? I it was
1: about a- to repeat it to you, but... I. Just so- <laughs> <laughs> Maher
0: Ma- Ma- ha- Shalal Hashbaz. I think I think when you have kids, um, Liam, you should you should name one of your kids Maher ha- Hashbaz, and we can call all we'll call him Baz. <laughs> Problem solved. We, we got a name for,
1: Liam, for Liam's kid. <laughs> First child, there you go. Very good. Uh, and other news uh, off the east, off the west coast of Western Australia, the northwest coast of Western Australia. There is a town called Exmouth, and there has been a sighting of a whale shark in foot in knee deep water. So it was. This is a, a, an animal that typically lives in the depths of the ocean and very rarely comes up. An animal that uh, is the biggest fish in the not the biggest animal in the ocean, the biggest fish, but the, the biggest, biggest fish. fish in the ocean and they can go up to like 15 meters or something and can't they massive oh, things they're huge, huge. and enormous. they're gorgeous i've never seen one have you seen one i haven't seen one in real life but i've seen
0: pictures it's on my bucket list and they are western australia and to swim creatures. with a whale shark
1: oh they're gorgeous um, but this whale shark it just strode up to the shallows and it was just sort of paddling around and i think it's because because not many people not as many people have been in the water they have
0: uh, they're looking for the people they're like where's all the people
1: yeah. What do we do? So now they've
0: they're come looking, up. Looking at, like, where's... What, why is there no one on the scared.
1: beach? I know. <laughs> they're a lot less scared. They're a lot more open to coming to the water. And it's all... It's it's quite fascinating. I, I it, The amount of animals that I've seen going, ro- roaming... Places that you don't usually see them has been quite. Have, a you, seen the, have
0: you seen the uh, monkeys? I think it's in Southeast Asia, it's there somewhere, in, one, in the middle of one of the cities, fighting over food. Yes, they're all starving. Oh, yes, wow. Oh. wow. Have
1: you seen anything like that? Because no tourists, they're not getting fed. There was and another the, town that had goats running through the church. That was very cool. Uh, well, not through the church, but outside the church. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> eating, eating the eating, And these were
0: these were wild goats. They were yeah. not domestic goats Indeed. that escaped from somebody's paddock. I, the other day, I I gardens.
1: was going on a run and I saw kangaroos at the BMX park. Because there was no children riding around the BMX park. It was magnificent. It was glorious. Um, So, yeah. But, uh, look, moving on this morning, that's, that's all I've got for positive news so far. But moving on, this is BJ Thomas with I Want To Be More Like Jesus. You're listening to The Breakfast Show.
4: Watch men speak, get pushed around, then turn the other cheek. I want to be more like him every day, in every way. So little time he took for himself, he was more concerned. I want to be more like you Every day Cheers. i
0: Was BJ
1: Thomas, I want to be more like Jesus You're listening to The Breakfast Show, Brett Have another clue for our quiz I am indeed, and again, apologies if you're just joining us now I did forget to press a button um, But it should all be running finely and smoothly now Um, So I'm going to read the two questions I'm going to read two clues Because I think we might have missed the first clue Okay. So uh, again, the first clue, in case you missed it An angel of the Lord appeared to my mother and said You are sterile and childless But you are going to conceive and have a son So what is the name of the son? that's what we're looking for Uh, and then the clue number two my father manoa prayed that the man of god would come again to and teach my parents how to raise me so who is this child or it's not child but at the moment we're focusing on the child but who is this man Who is this person? And Lyle has it correctly. So that means the double prize is no longer up for grabs. But if you think you know what the answer is, you can give us a call at 1-800-324-843 or you can send us a text at 0491-064-669. And if you are the first person with the correct answer this morning, we will be sending you a copy of God's Love for Man uh, by Ellen White. So a wonderful piece of, a wonderful book right there that you can get your hands on.
0: Okay, so there are a number of threatened species in Africa at the moment right now that are under increasing threat as a result of the coronavirus. In fact, in kind of a way, there are a bunch of animals that are being killed off by coronavirus, and you might be wondering, well, how is that taking place? Well, the first impact that is being felt uh, in that continent right now is the drop in income to the various charities that... Uh, support Africa and of course some of those charities are there to support species that are at risk and particularly to support the guards who patrol the, the national parks to protect them from hunters and so there's no longer any money to fund the, uh, the armed patrols to go out and to protect these particular species Which means that it has kind of become open season For people who want to go poaching Because there's nobody looking after the animals And at the same time you have a tremendous loss of income Because every nation in the world is struggling right now With a tremendous loss of income because of the coronavirus And so you've got people who are on the point of starvation And when they're at the point of starvation They will kill and eat whatever they can to stay alive It's kind of a natural human thing to do, and so you've got this twin hit that is hitting Africa right now, and particularly hitting threatened species over there, where there is millions of dollars in aid that is no longer going to those countries, there is obviously millions of dollars that is being ripped out of their economies. People are starving and so they're eating animals and you have nobody to protect those animals in the national parks. Or we should say a much reduced capacity to be able to protect those animals. So yeah, a bit of an unseen consequence of the coronavirus and how it is affecting our world right now. Uh, On the other side of the world, you have something taking place that is probably better news and even more interesting. And if you go to the country of Thailand you find that a whole bunch of the elephants in Thailand have been told to pack up their trunks and head bush. Really? Indeed. And so there's about... Uh, <laughs> you just, you just got, geez, saw what I did there. I did indeed. My dad joke for the day. Quite. I thought it was awesome. It was very good. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so basically what's happening is that you've got about 2,000 domestic elephants uh, in Thailand. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, they are eating about... 300 kilos, 600 pounds of food per day. A lot of the elephant farms are no longer able to support them because there's no tourists, because it's primarily uh, driven by tourism. And so they've got to find a way to keep these elephants alive. And so what they've decided to do is to send them bush. Really? Let them go. And let them forage for themselves. The problem is in most of the areas where elephants are kept, there's actually not that much bush where they can find a suitable home without doing tremendous destruction. And so what they've done is they've just simply climbed on their backs and walked them about 150 kilometres north, Uh, to some areas where there's lots of bush and the elephants have arrived there and they seem to be super happy to be there and they love playing in the creek and being domestic elephants. They love hanging out with all of the uh, village children and so the village children, uh, and and when you think a bit, wrap your head around this one, Liam, let's say that you're a uh, five, six, seven, eight-year-old kid and there's a bunch of tame elephants just moved into your community and they're playing in the creek and you can go and play with them whenever you want. That's kind of a little bit like a foretaste of heaven. That would
1: be so cool.
0: Well, that as being a positively different story I this morning. So, um, and of course, the elephants are just loving it. They're getting heaps of attention. They've got lots of kids to play with, and they get uh, and they've got bush to roam around into their hearts' content. That would be just living the dream. They are living the dream there in Thailand, and hopefully, it will continue to uh, go well for them. On a much more serious note, we are expecting at the moment. The suicide rate in Australia to climb. The, pr- the current uh, projections are that it will c- climb anywhere from thirty to forty percent. I see. So Lifeline has experienced a twenty-five percent increase in calls since the lockdown began. Beyond Blue has in- has uh, experienced a forty percent increase in calls annually. We lose here in Australia about. 6,000 people a year to suicide. Mm. Um, so far, we've lost around uh, just a little, a little under 100 people to the coronavirus. And under current projections, um, we're expecting to lose somewhere between 1,500 to 2,500 people from suicide as a result of the effects of coronavirus.
1: That's just, it's not a statistic that you want to be hearing, is it?
0: No, this is a really serious thing, and this is something that's been concerning me for quite some time, is that we have people who are losing their livelihoods, they are losing everything that they have worked for, what they've put their whole life into. We saw this happen with our farmers during the drought, and now you've got you know people in the tourism industry and so forth that are going through what the farmers went through. Mm. And we need to be thinking about these people we need to be in contact with these people we need to be talking to these people we need to be asking them are you okay are, are you okay and having a conversation with them uh, because there are people who are really really struggling right now and if you're somebody who's really struggling then do call Lifeline the number is one three one 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 four and have a talk to somebody because there is always, a there, there is always a, a, a solution there is always a way out and yes this crisis is bad yes it is causing us to be socially disconnected from each other and yes it is causing a lot of people to really really struggle in their livelihoods um so we need to be reaching out to these people at this particular time one of the one of the tragedies is that the the real statistics aren't actually going to be known for another two years. And the reason behind that is that suicide statistics always lag, lag by two years because they require a coroner's report. And so what a lot of these uh, large companies that you know, deal with counselling are calling for is real-time statistics. So whenever the police report something as suspected suicide, it goes on to a suspected suicide list because, you know, 99% of the time when the police reported a suspected suicide, that's what the coroner finds. Um, and so if it was on a list of suspected suicide, would actually have realistic statistics to deal with. One of the other things that they wanted to point out was that suicide is contagious. So you can catch it. And if we can track uh, coronavirus, then we should be able to track suicide as well. And the way that it's contagious is that if you are closely connected to someone who has committed suicide, then your danger is higher for a number of reasons. You might have a similar chemical imbalance in your brain or you might have similar environmental factors that are driving you that direction. And by having real-time statistics and to be able to do tracking, it identifies at-risk people where we can provide help for them uh, to try and preempt, uh, you know, the 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 dark thoughts that are going to be taking place in their minds. So yeah, once again, this is a heavy story, but do do give a uh, if you are feeling um, down at the moment, one three one 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 four is the lifeline number. Do call that number, um, or you can just call us right here, and we can connect you with them. And um, yeah, don't just assume that you know everything's going to be okay. Um, and please do stay in contact with people who may be struggling. Of course, the uh, um, George Pell files uh, from the Royal Commission are going to be released in Parliament today. So in the next couple of days, expect a full analysis of that right here on Faith FM. It is a story that we have been following in detail. And while we're dealing with signs of the times, we notice that Darwin just got hit by an earthquake um, coming out of Timor, out of the Timor Sea, has been rocking Darwin. So, yeah, anyway, we're going to move on. This is Lucy Simpson Maynard. Restore us, Lord God Almighty.
2: Cry out from this lonely place. You've put us in the darkest days. And we
1: Lucy Simpson Maynard with Restore Us, Lord God Almighty. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show. We've come time for clue number three this morning for our quiz. I said, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. A little bit of a poet there. Well, no, so not not a poet, but he... In this, in this particular section, he thought he was a poet and he didn't even know it. So who is this person? Uh, if you know who this is, give us a call at 1-800-324-843 or you can send us a text at 0491-064-664 and if you are the correct person, uh, the first person with the correct answer, we'll be sending you a copy of God's Love for Man by Ellen White. Now this morning we are joined by uh, Daniel Mateo, who is the Youth Director for the Adventist Church in Tasmania. Uh, Good morning, Daniel. How are you? Good, thanks, mate. Good to be here. That's good. Um, now this morning we're going to be talking about another a, a pretty heavy topic, which is porn and the effects of porn that it can have on people and and the world, and especially over the recent times. So, um, can you just what is uh, to begin with? What is what is your sort of journey been with porn over over your life?
3: Mm. Yeah, no, thanks for asking, mate. Um, So, first of all, you know, you're right. It is a heavy topic, and uh, for me, you know, I'm um, I'm happy to admit that uh, that I'm a recovered pornography addict. And uh, when I say that, um, some people kind of look at me sideways and go, "How can you get addicted to something that isn't, you know, an actual substance?" And uh, in actual fact, um, you you can develop addictions to things that aren't substances. People get addicted to all sorts of things that give them a high or a buzz. But in particular um as it pertains to any kind of sexual experience um it can it's addictive because of the the substances that your brain releases when you have those those experiences so you know there's all sorts of chemicals in your brain that God's created to to bond um or that are re- released in your brain when, that God's created to bond a husband and a wife together and, um, and sometimes it's possible when we have experiences that are outside of God's will uh, for us, that we can develop addictions and dependencies on, um, I guess, on that. And, uh, and yeah, it's sort of very, very similar to some sort of drug that you'd actually put into your body. So, um, yeah, have you got any, like, did you want to ask me anything about that before I kind of tell you, I guess, a bit about my journey with it?
1: Um, no, uh, uh, just we're, we're more than happy to just uh, hear your journey.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, cool. Well, yeah, so when I was 13 years old, um, I was uh, playing with a robot toy that my mother had given to me uh, with a mate that uh, that uh, lived next door. And he said to me, man, I really want that toy, you know. And um, and he said, I'm willing to swap you something that I got from a friend at school. And I was like, okay, fair enough. What is that? And uh, And he pulled out these magazines that had a whole bunch of pictures in them of women that weren't wearing any clothes. And uh, I was like, didn't really know what it was. It was like a little bit shocking to me, but also <laughs> it was also, you know, <clears throat> intriguing. I was I was interested, you know, as a young as a young kid, you know, and in, in, as a developing kid in these things. So I swapped this for a toy. It's the first time I was ever exposed to it, and it just really changed the way that I thought. Changed the way that I thought about women. It also, um, <clears throat> I guess, it changed and transformed the way that. Um, my mind dealt with um, with hard hard times or stress because every time every time I went through any sort of difficulty or stress um, in high school I'd sort of go back to these magazines and this is before the internet was like a massive thing like it was around but not many people had it you know so um, it was sort of more printed kind of material but particularly when I joined the army um, I found that porn was everywhere but um, <clears throat> when they uh, sent me on operations I, uh, I went through a bit of a traumatic sort of experience where you well, not only was I kind of constantly, you know, a little bit afraid about the external situation, I was experiencing some um, some targeted, well, what you might call workplace bullying, what we call in the army bastardization from, a, from an immediate superior and sort of this idea of never feeling safe. You know, he made kind of death threats a couple of times and, and uh, this idea of never feeling safe kind of led me to really internalise my pain and I felt like I focused it all. Instead of turning it to God, I sort of focused on, On on what I felt was an escape, and that's when my addiction was really solidified. So it got to the point where, if pornography said jump, I jumped. That was it. You know, once I got that feeling where my blood was running and my mouth was watering, um, I just uh, I just couldn't say no. So it just controlled my whole life. Yeah, Mm. yeah. So that went on um, until uh, right up until I was. um, Well, funnily enough, I, I kind of had turned my back on God after that period, but I started coming back to church. Um, and uh, what I found was even, I guess, when I gave my life to God, I, I didn't sort of have victory in this particular area of my life. It was a real struggle. And uh, I ran into the woman that I wanted to marry. And, uh, and God sort of spoke to me and said, you know, are you really going to let this woman marry you without telling her what you really are? And uh, And so... At that point, you know, we had an internet connection and everything. And uh, and I, with a lot of shame, uh, told her that, you know, I had this problem and I couldn't seem to get past it. And, uh, yeah, she insisted on looking at my browser history, which was, yeah, pretty much the most shameful moment of my whole life. Um, I'm not really sure why she chose to sort of go through with a wedding after that, but, um, yeah, she did. And uh, I, I sort of started a bit of a battle in myself. Um, I read a book uh, by uh, by an Adventist pastor named Bernie Anderson called Breaking the Silence, and in that book, I, for the first time ever, I got the sense that maybe it was possible to overcome this thing. I'd, I'd somewhat got comfortable with the idea of the ups and the downs, you know, like you go okay for a while and then you fall, and I sort of thought that that was just the way that it had to be, basically, for always. But um, this guy was talking in this book about how it's really that God's able to give you power to overcome, and that was actually really scary to me. Um, it was scary because when you use when you use an addiction or an escape to deal with your pain or with um, any kind of stress or that happens in your life, when you think about a time in the future where you're never ever going to have that again, that you're never going to have that crutch to fall back on, it's uh, it's really scary. And I could, I guess, cope with the idea of going for a little while without it but my whole life in total victory was was um something that if i was honest with myself i didn't really want so uh so i had to start praying this prayer don't um lord i don't want to win but i want to want to win so i need you to change me so that i want to want to win and um and and you know, if you'll do that, then I'll be yours. And so, going through these, this kind of time when my wife became my accountability partner and God became my power and my strength. What's funny is when you make a decision that you're really going to beat this thing, is that the enemy throws everything that he can at you. And um, at that time, I was, I'd got out of the army and I was in the security industry, and I was working at a tradie's office. Um, um on a Sunday, I'd be doing, I'd do 12 hours of overtime, and this tradie's office, um, you know, just like just being there so it didn't get broken into. They didn't flog their tools or whatever. And uh, this tradies office actually backed onto a um, onto a news agency uh, skip, uh, sort of business there and they had their skip bins. The news agency would get all this porn and if they didn't sell it, they threw it into the skip and the tradies would go out and grab it. So this office was just full of porn. So I'd, I'd be stuck in this office for 12 hours. You know, I needed the money. I wanted to do the overtime, but I'd just be stuck there on my own, no one around stacks of porn everywhere and that was that was where the real battle was. That went on for about twelve months. My wife would drop me off in the morning and we'd pray together and I'd go there. First thing I would do was go around and cover up everything with newspapers so that I couldn't see anything. And I'd just sit there and study my Bible for twelve hours and pray and beg God for power. And um, at the end of it my wife would pick me up and she'd say, How did we go today? you know. And uh, sometimes I was I was happy to see her, and sometimes I was ashamed. Um, but uh, I found after after about twelve months, I I kind of realised that my victories were getting more frequent, and my losses were getting less frequent. And after a while, I was like, man, it's been three months, and then it's been twelve months, and then and now I look back, and it's been thirteen years. You know, so it's just amazing how God can step in with his power, you know, not of yourself, but with his power and give you one victory at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time, uh, until you walk with him into the kingdom. So, yeah, um, that's kind of where I come from. And I always tell people that there's an equation to overcoming any struggle in your life, and that is that divine power plus human support equals spiritual growth. Yeah.
1: Mm, so. Amen. Now, that's, that's certainly a, a very powerful uh, testimony there. Um, so, so that was one way that what the one way that I got from that that you um sort of overcame your addiction to to pornography was was through the word and, and through the support of other people and the, the, the turning to god how important is the the support from other people and and turning to god how important are those factors in uh, anyone's trying uh, trying to overcome an addiction
3: yeah it's super important <clears throat> um one of the things that yeah, that I think is a really important step towards overcoming really anything. And, you know, it's it's very true, particularly in these times of, um, I guess, social isolation, that we're it's natural for us to turn because of boredom. You know, we've got less things to entertain our time, that we're going to be turning more and more to addictions perhaps that aren't substance-based, you know, that are kind of like entertainment or, um, you know, in this case, pornography-based. So, um, But to admit that you've got a problem, to actually take responsibility and say, you know, this is actually a problem for me is a lot of times half the battle. You know, one of the big, I guess, um, one of the big struggles or obstacles about addiction is that it deceives you into thinking that you're fine. Like you think that you've got it, you know, you think it's not a problem. Um, And to actually admit, you know what, this is negatively affecting my relationships. It's negatively affecting my mind. It's negatively affecting my pocket. I'm, 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 My life is going backwards because of this thing in so many different ways. And to actually accept that reality and say, I have a problem. I need help. And to admit that to another person um, is really, really important and massive. You asked about human support, like to have an accountability partner, you know, somebody that's willing to be honest and ask you tough questions, you know, is is super important because it gives you a consequence you know, to your actions, which you don't necessarily have, um, or is, let's say, isn't immediately obvious to you at other times. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just a quick question there, uh, Daniel. Not sure whether. Uh, okay. If you hopefully you can hear me all right on on this system, but the question that I've got in my mind is: as as Christians, we understand that pornography is wrong. Jesus said, you know, you should not lust. Um, However, from a secular perspective, most people see pornography as being something that is entirely natural and normal. And so how would you answer a secular person who says, well, what is actually wrong with porn? What is damaging about porn? Why would I want to give this up?
3: Well, you know, in, in actual fact, that what you just said they used to be the common belief, but just from pure, pure experiential Life has caused um, there to be a massive movement against pornography and and in the secular world. Um, and the reason is that people have just experienced that this destroys your life, this destroys your marriage, this destroys your your view of women. It destroys well, you know, and in case of women, your view of relationships. Um, it destroys your self-image. Um, there's, there's so many different things. And so in actual fact, um, there's all sorts of secular movements that have nothing to do with God whatsoever. That just um, that are trying to Help people and support people towards freedom from this. And so, let me let me put it this way: um, I believe that um, that uh, as men, you know, um, biologically we have a little bit more testosterone than women, and as a result, there's a protective. I believe there's a protective role to being a man. You know, our, our job ought to be to protect and to respect women, to whatever greater or lesser extent. And I um, And you can't. No honest person can come to the content of pornography and say that this uplifts and this ennobles women. No honest person can can come to the content of pornography and say this is something that empowers and this is something something that lifts women up to a level of equality and and strength, you know, and so there's that level, right, the social justice level, Um, not to mention that you know, the level of victimhood that takes place um, against the, the actors. And if, you don't have to do very much research to find out the, the connection between pornography and human trafficking, right? But, you know, just in terms of your, the personal impact on an individual, you know, the the destruction of their relationships, you know, the um, for men, you know, the, it leads to impotence often, you know, where sort of because a human relationship can't measure up to, um, I guess, the... Um, the chemical thrill of uh, of what of the false uh, the false narratives that pornography pay- paints. What else? I could look, mate. I could sit here all day and tell you all of the negative I- impacts. Just the financial: a hundred billion dollars US per year is the is the profit of the pornography industry worldwide, um, which, by the way, is the number that the UN has put on. Um, how how much it would cost to make sure there was no hungry children in the world, you know? So that's just the profit of the pornography industry. Um, we could end world hunger um, if we stopped doing that. Like, yeah, I mean, is that enough for you? Or?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. Um, now one one question that I've got that I got, I'll be honest, it, it, I think I'm I'm guilty of this too, but pornography doesn't just come in the form of, of what is stereotypically pornography there are many other different platforms of what could be classed as pornography, such as you know in movies there are some movies that where where nudity is seen and, and where there's sexual content so what are some what are some uh, some telling signs that that could tell someone that they could be addicted to uh, pornography when they might not realize it Mm.
3: Yeah right. Well, how how does somebody know they're addicted if they if they don't if they can't realise it? That's the question. Well, yeah, right? that's
1: that's true. Or uh, well, guess yeah. maybe to put it differently, what what are some different what are some platforms of pornography that people may not realise?
3: Mm. Okay, I see what you're saying. All right. Okay, well, I mean, in um, the the word porneia, you know, in um, in Greek, simply means immorality, and so the the word graphos um, in Greek it means writing, or I guess if you put it in in our modern context, any kind of media or, um, or communication. So just put those two ideas together. And so if you've got immorality and communication, it's going to have the, um, or in media, it's going to have the, the effect of being stimulating, um, sexually and have that, have that effect on your brain, um, and be potentially addictive. So I'm thinking about books, you know, like there's, um, there's romance no- novels and things that are particularly targeted at women. And I use the word romance very, very loosely because women women tend to be more um, thought and imagination based and, uh, and men tend to be more sight and visually based. And that's not always the case, but, you know, generally speaking. So there are these kind of like erotic stories that they call romance novels that are particularly targeted at women. And, um, and, you know, these are really pornography. You know, if, if you spend more than 15 minutes reading them, it's not stories of people going on dates and love stories. It's stories about sex. Very, very explicit. And, um, you know, there's the, that really, really horrid series, the Fifty Shades series that came out a few years ago, you know, that was, um, yeah, that, that took that to a really, really obscene level. So um, there's there's that sort of thing. You know, you, obviously there's sex scenes in films. You know, sometimes a film would be rated, you know, M or, or whatever, and you're sort of not expecting that it's going to be too bad. But, I mean, what you're seeing is the first level of something that's going to draw you into a more explicit addiction. Um, even, even like, a lot of sort of kids' cartoons or whatever have got themes in them. Often, they, increasingly these days, that are um, sort of sexual themes. And um, and uh, yeah, so kids and kids shows, you know, um, often uh, depict uh, sort of, I mean, people engaging in behaviour that is above, you know, what we'd want kids that age to engage in. You know, so yeah.
1: Yeah, no, look, Daniel, thank you so much for talking to to us this morning. Uh, we've got some very powerful, powerful t- testimony from you there and some very powerful messages as well. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and yeah, we really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, that's all good, man. And uh, so, if, um, if I can sort of leave our, your listeners with anything, it's just this, that divine power plus human support equals growth. You know, you need both of those together. You can't have just one or the other. You need you need that real connection to a living God that steps down and gives you power to overcome. Yeah.
1: Amen. Amen. Um, thank you so much for that, Daniel. Um, coming up next though, we have got the Forbes family with, I must tell Jesus.
2: I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot, in my distress he kindly will help me he ever loves and cares for his own i must tell jesus you mm-hmm.
3: You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But there's a program called Forgive to Live designed to help
0: us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au.
4: there's despair in life, let me bring hope. And where there's darkness, only light. And where there's sadness, ever joy. To be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, Understand. Understand. to be loved as to love with all my my soul. soul.